Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing our series that we've called Healthy Relationships, Myth or Reality. And so that's the real question. Are healthy relationships even possible? When you live in a broken world, if all of us, if I was to take a poll today and say, hey, how many of you here have brokenness in your life? Uh, We would all raise our hands. So how in the world are you supposed to have healthy relationships in a unhealthy, broken world? Well, I believe there's an answer. Just like we we sang this morning, we prayed this morning, Jesus is the answer to the world. we, We do know that, right? Do you understand that the world has no hope without Jesus. Do you know that? So what that also means is this is your relationships, I don't mean to sound fatalistic or anything, but your relationships have no hope without who? Jesus. So I believe there are biblical principles we can follow and we can apply to our lives and we can grow in our relationships. And we're going to spend, just as an encouragement to you, we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to make our relationships more healthy. Just so you know that. You're going to spend the rest of your life growing in your marriage. You're going to spend the rest of your life growing in your friendships. You're going to spend the rest of your life growing with people at church and learning how to have healthy relationships. And so we're looking at the love chapter out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can get on your phones or iPads or Google Glasses or, or Apple Watch or your cyborg eye, whatever you have today. And we're going to be looking at some areas of, of 1 Corinthians 13 and really applying them to our lives. And here's the question, because we're talking about love. What does love mean? What does it mean to love? And then here's the other one. What does love look like? Because it has to look like something when we talk about love. Because I love my mom, I love my dad, I love my wife, I love my kids, and I love tacos. Amen to that. Hallelujah. And so, what does love look like in the context of relationships? But before we really get into this message today, I just want to share with you guys a story. Since the week, last week, or last, I believe it was Wednesday, was Valentine's Day, I thought I would start off with just a, a, a little story and a little joke about, uh, about a young man and, uh, and a gal he, he liked a lot. And so there was a young man in college and he was visiting his girlfriend's hometown at Valentine's for the first time. He'd never been to the house, never been to the town, never met the parents. And so his name was John. And it was a small town was at, was, with only one drugstore. So John stopped in at the drugstore and he told the pharmacist, he said, listen, I want to buy three boxes of chocolate. It's Valentine's. I'm going to buy three boxes of chocolate. I'm going to buy a small box. I'm going to buy a medium box. I'm going to buy a large box. And the pharmacist said, well, why are you buying three boxes? And John said, well, I'm going to my girlfriend's house tonight for supper, and it's Valentine's Day. So if, 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 she, if she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the small box. If she lets me give her a kiss on the cheek, I'm going to give her the medium box. But if she gives me a kiss on the lips, I'm going to give her the big box. And so that evening at, uh, at dinner... Um, his girlfriend's father asked John to pray before the meal. And so John proceeded to pray at the meal. And he prayed a long, sincere, intense, beautiful prayer that lasted over five minutes. And so finally he said, amen. And his girlfriend said, well, John, you never told me you could pray such powerful, wonderful prayers. And John said, and you never told me that your father was the local pharmacist. <laughs> serves them right. That's what I think. It serves them right. So I pray you had a great Valentine's <laughs> week this year. So let's read out of um, 1 Corinthians. Th- I don't know if that's a segue, but I'm going to make it one. Let's read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about what love is. And here Paul is explaining about what love is. What does it look like? And he says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'm going to pray before we get started this morning. Father, as we lean into this today, God, I know you're going to challenge us deeply in a way that probably many of us didn't anticipate we'd be challenged when we came to church. Lord, we know that your word heals us. Your word cuts and separates. Your word brings life. Your word is useful for teaching, for correction. And so, Lord, we open our hearts today for your spirit to communicate to us through your word. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. The portion of this that I'm talking about today is this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, love keeps no records of being wronged. There are many people here today that you are a master record keeper. There are many of you here today who are the reason why people have to be massive record keepers. In this room you have offenders and you have the offended. And we know that life is full of opportunities, particularly on this verse, to keep records of wrongs. Life's full of opportunities to be wronged and to be hurt, whether it's people at work, whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, moms, fathers, family, church folk. It's full of opportunities. In our relationships, the reality is we hurt each other. Whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, we hurt each other. And whether you realize it or not, and maybe this could be a wake-up call for some of you today, is that you hurt other people. You do. And also, what's important that we're going to talk about more today is other people hurt you. And how you process that hurt will influence many different areas of your life and your relationships. And so we want to be healthy in our relationships, don't we? We want to be, we want to be the best at relationships that we can possibly be. But what we do know and what we're going to get into is that if you don't respond correctly to hurt, if you don't respond correctly to when there's an offense, it turns into this thing that we're talking about today turns into bitterness. And so if you hold on to a hurt, if you keep a record of wrongs in your book of wrongs, it becomes bitterness. If you hold on to it, it becomes hate. Bitterness is the great deconstructor. It is the the destroyer of relationships. You see it all the time, over and over and over again. It destroys every kind of relationships. But here's the other side. It also destroys you. There's a reason. Paul knows what he's talking about. Where he says that love keeps no record of being wronged. On every, almost every promise of Scripture, there's a, there's a duel. It's a two-edged sword. It is, it is about how you respond to others, but it's also about if you will obey this, how this affects your life in an amazing, positive, powerful way. Bitterness is one of these things that it slowly drains you. It's like this low-grade ache. It's like chronic pain. That the first month, it's doable. Second month, you're not doing it. By the eighth month, it has drained you of your energy, of your mental capacity, of your ability to have conversations. It's just like chronic pain. And you find yourselves in the middle of bitterness. You are emotionally empty. You're emotionally numb. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to contribute anymore. And you don't even know. You can't even trace back to the starting point because you're numb. You can't think anymore. 
And when you keep a record of being wrong, there, you, what happens is you become this word that we're talking about, bitterness. But I want to talk to you today about overcoming bitterness. Because here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can overcome and you can be healed from bitterness. You can be healed from relational pain in your life. And as we look at Jesus... As we trust in him, as we lean into him, as we throw ourselves at the feet of a Savior who loves you, who cared for you, who, who died to give you hope in the midst of your hopelessness, that you can and will be healed. And my prayer is as we take a step forward today through God's word and through God's power in this series, series He's going to bring health to us. But here's the deal about becoming healthy. How many here have ever become healthy without having to experience any pain? Nobody. You didn't say, you know what? You didn't wake up and say, I'm going to be healthy today and eat whatever I want. No. You had, you, you, listen, eating healthy is painful. Let's just be honest. It's painful. It hurts. And how, how you know that, that, that you're actually getting healthy at the gym is that when you leave, you're in pain. You know, well, I'm making some progress. Well, let me tell you something. It's the same way with relationships. In order to get healthy, you're going to have to experience some pain. And the pain is not a sense of, of how it's an offense against you or it's an attack against you. It's the reality of coming to grips that you actually have pain. But I believe in a God who gives hope and he gives life. And his desire is that you would have life to the fullest and healthy relationships so I want to look at this whole idea of overcoming bitterness through the eyes of a man. In Scripture, his name is Job. He had every reason in the world to be filled with bitterness. Every reason. Think about it. He, he was probably one of the wealthiest men of his time. Incredibly wealthy. Not just lands, not just buildings, not just commerce, not just livestock. But his family was prospering as well. They had children, and his family was doing, I mean, it was what he had always dreamed. He thought, boy, man, I, I can't believe how good God is in my life. And one day, he lost it all. One day, he went bankrupt. He lost his entire estate. His children were murdered. And in the midst of that pain, his wife turns against him. And then he got a disease that was Incredibly painful, incurable. Couldn't, he couldn't, there's nothing he did that could make him better. He had boils all over his body that were oozing pus. And he was in so much pain, he, he wanted to take an, an broken pottery and scrape them. He, he, he was in pain. He couldn't stand up without being in pain. Couldn't lie down without being in pain. Couldn't lean on anything about being in pain. The guy's life flipped upside down. He lost it all. And his friends that he had around him, instead of encouraging him, instead of being like, hey, brother, let me pray for you, man. Listen, we're going to just believe. Listen, how can we help you? you? You know what they did for him? They said this, well, it must be your fault. You must have something in your life that's causing this to happen. There must be something going on with you that God's abandoned you. And so it must be all your fault, Job. You're the problem. You're the one. How many know that's really helpful? And so he had every reason in his life to be bitter. His relationship with God could have been bitter. His relationship with his wife, his relationship with his friends. But instead of getting bitter, instead of allowing the offense to derail him and take him down a road that there would have been no recovery. The Bible says that God, because of his, his desire to not be bitter, it says that God made the last part of Job's life better than the first. How many here want the, the last part of your life to be better than the first? How, come on, how many want that? Lord, we want that for us. And I want that for you. But the key of why the latter part of his life was better than the former part of his life was because he refused to hold on to bitterness. And he did not live the rest of his life with the list 
of what this friend did, his wife did, what God did. And what I do know is this, is that God can and he will make the latter part of your life better than the former. So here's, here's I just want to walk through this today. It's incredibly practical. What can cause bitterness in our lives? Number one, and this is a big one, words spoken to you. Everyone say amen to that. Now listen to how Job feels when his so-called friends mock him. So listen to this. So Job is down and out. He's lost everything. He's sick. He, he's chronically ill. His, his wife's turned against him. His children no longer exist. His livestock is dead. And Job is talking to his friends. And he says this in Job chapter 12. He says this, you have no troubles, yet you make fun of me. You hit someone who is about to fall. In other words, you, you, they're speaking things over him that are, that are cutting him, that are hurting him. They're mocking him. Proverbs 12, 18 says it's the words of the reckless pierce like swords. How many here have been around some reckless people? They just say it. Well, I just had to tell you how I feel. Well, I, don't. Don't tell me how you feel. On a side note, if you're telling one, someone how you feel so that you can just get it off of your chest, there was only one person you were thinking about. You. People are reckless with their words. And words damage. And words cut. And words hurt us. And hurt can turn to bitterness. The deepest pain and influence in our lives is probably words. If I, were to, if I were to ask you, I want you to just think just for a moment about your greatest points of pain. The greatest, the greatest thing that happened that, caused, that causes insecurity with you today. Or the greatest time of rejection or hopelessness or betrayal. I guarantee you that most of those offenses are attached to words. Words spoken. And those words caused offense and that offense has led to bitterness and that bitterness has tainted your relationships, and you may not know it, but I pray the Lord will reveal that today. Another cause of bitterness in life is this number two, it's attitudes that are projected towards you. The reason why I wrote attitudes, how many know this, that, that you, can, you can feel rejection without someone saying a word? You can read it all over them. Job writes this in, in 19.5. He says this, you, and he's talking to his friends, you would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me. You would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me. In other words, your attitude towards me stinks. You think, you think you're better than me. And I can tell by the way you're acting. I can tell by the way that you re- respond to me. You've exalted yourself over me. Thanks a lot, friends. It was an attitude. And you can feel rejected and hurt when nothing is said. Just by the way people look at you, by their body language, by a nonverbal message, the way someone acts when they talk, their facial expression. Have you ever heard the expression, man, of looks could kill, I'd be dead by now. The rolling of the eyes, the message that comes from someone's attitude that says, and we feel, I don't, I, I don't think you're important. Or I think what you're saying, that, that you don't know what you're talking about. I think you're an idiot. All of those things can be communicated without one word being said. They're attitudes that are projected towards you. They're hurts. They're offenses that can lead to bitterness. And when we begin to see and to sense and to feel these attitudes of people, we, we begin to feel it deeply. It changes actually something inside of us. Then, he, then what happens even before we speak, we start second-guessing everything we're about to say because we're, we're in a relationship with someone who, who's always mocking us, who's always t- making us trying to feel stupid, who's always, and so their facial expression, the way they say, uh-huh, they're, just by a grunt, they can make us feel like we're a nobody. And that hurt can cause bitterness. It can change the way we see ourselves. It can change the way we see them. And it can change the way that we see God. What else causes bitterness? Number three is, this one's pretty obvious, there are actions that are done to you. 
things that are done to you. Job 19.19, he's talking about his friends and he says this, All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. In other words, trust was broken. Pain was caused. Notice that Job says, my intimate friends. The number one place that bitterness happens, it's, it's actually not at work. It's not. It's in our homes. It's in our marriages. It's in our families. It's with our children. It's with also church family. The closer you are to people, the greater chance you have to be offended, to pick up bitterness. They can betray you. They can be disloyal to you. They can say hurtful things to you. And you still got to see them the next day. It's in our homes that we we have to deal with this issue of bitterness. And when we get hurt and we don't deal with it, we we actually begin to think, this is is the tricky thing about bitterness. We begin to think that bitterness is like a shield that protects us. Because we, we were open and we were vulnerable and we were attacked and we were hurt. And bitterness, we, we think it, it, it protects us. We think it will give us control. It gives us power over a situation that we could not originally control. But actually, bitterness will never help. There's no positive outcome of carrying bitterness in our lives. We think it'll help. We think it makes us feel secure. But it never does. It only does this. It sabotages. Sabotages everything else in our life. So why doesn't bitterness help? Because it feels like it helps for a moment. It feels like it. But one is that bitterness, one, it accomplishes absolutely nothing. It accomplishes nothing. As Job was wrestling through these, this, this pain of his friends, the pain of his wife, the pain of losing everything, he, he was wrestling. His own soul was, he had to struggle with bitterness, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But Job himself writes this, writes this, that resentment or bitterness kills a fool. A fool, meaning he didn't know what he was doing. He thought that resentment and bitterness, he, he didn't think it was doing anything to his life. But actually, a fool is one who doesn't see what is actually true. And he embraced resentment and bitterness, and it killed him. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words... Bitter roots are going to come. They're going to try to start growing in your soul, in your heart. But see to it that not a bitter root grows up. Don't let it develop. Don't let it get mature. You pluck that thing. You torch that thing. You cut that thing out. Because if you don't, it will cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness defiles who God made you to be. It changes your personality. The person you used to be is no longer the person you are today. Why? Because there is bitterness in your soul. As I've said before, that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I told you today that before we can get healthy, We're going to have to walk through some pain. But there's hope on the other side of this. But the last thing is what causes, or what what bitterness doesn't help is this. Number two, bitterness is bad actually for your health. It's bad for your health. It makes you sick. This isn't just a, 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 a church thing or a spiritual thing. Job 21 says this, some some men... Stay healthy till the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. No happiness. Their life is full of no happiness. And they die with bitter hearts. Now is it easy to not pick up offenses? No. Does it feel like you are empowered when all of a sudden you position your heart against someone? It does. But according to Scripture, 
you will have no happiness. And you're going to live and die with a bitter heart. There was an article from Montreal Concordia University of the Department of uh, Psychology says, they wrote an article, and this is, well, this is the title of the article, listen to it. Harboring bitterness increases likelihood of physical disease. Researchers who have examined the relationship between bitterness and the quality of life found that blaming others leads to actual physical disease. This, the article writes, writes this, says, Persistent bitterness may result in global feeling of anger and hostility, and when strong enough, will affect a person's physical health. Bitterness may pre- predict adverse changes in metabolism, immune system function, and organ function. Why? Because of bitterness. Another study has, they, they've come up with a term, it's called post-traumatic embitterment disorder. It's called PTED. It's true. Because it affects people so much. Bitterness robs you from the life that Jesus has for you. So I want to just look at three simple keys. I'm not, I'm not, I do not think that we're going to solve all of this in one 35-minute message. But it's a start. And it's a place for us to become healthier in our relationships. So I'm going to look at three keys to overcoming bitterness. The first one is this. First, you're to be honest about your pain. If you want to have healthy relationships with God, with others, you're going to have to be honest about your pain. Job 7.11 said this, therefore, I will not keep silent. Listen to how he's, he just opens up. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He's just being honest with God. Doesn't say he allowed bitterness, the bitter root to grow, but he's just saying, man, there is some bitterness going on in here. And he cries out to God. Job, he's just being honest. Job's just being honest. God, I'm hurting. My words are from my pain and my anguish in my heart. God, I'm feeling bitter. God, my life is falling apart. God, I've lost everything. God, there's no hope. God, I'm all alone and I feel like you've abandoned me. What's going on? He's being honest. Now, do you think when, when Job just opened up and he began to be honest with God, do you, think, do you think God was like, well, Job, I didn't know you were feeling that way. I'm, I'm sorry. No, God already knew. God knew he was upset from the moment he got upset. He just, wanted, he just wanted Job to admit it. He just wanted Job to be honest and, to, and, and to, just to open up to him. And this, the start of being honest, the start, the, the decision, I'm going to be honest, God, about really what's going on in my heart. That is the beginning of your road to healing. It's the, it's the beginning of the healing process in your life. If you, if you want to get over emotional hurts, If you want to not allow bitterness to to get a root and grow up in your life, you're going to have to be honest. Things have happened in the past. The starting point is to say, God, I'm upset. God, I'm angry that this happened. You just need to be honest with God. God, God wants to hear your voice. He wants to draw near to you. He wants to help you walk through this. He's not going to send an angel of death to kill you because you were honest with him. He's waiting for you. He already knows how you feel. And the reality is, many people's um, defense mecha- mechanism is this, is this thing called ignorance. We, we pretend we're ignorant. That way, that way we, we can, we're not responsible for it because well, we're ignorant. And we're, pre- we're pretending not to know. And so here's just some questions to you today that, that hopefully can help you start down this road of honesty. What is in your marriage that you're pretending is not there? Listen, don't live 10, 15, 20 years in a marriage and refuse to be honest about stuff that's there, that's hurtful, that's offensive. What is in the relationship with, with a boss or a parent or a, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You think, oh, no, that doesn't really matter. No, that, that's, it's not that big of a deal. Or actually, I didn't know that was really happening. It's this ignorance side. Denial, really, what it is. 
What is in your family that you're, you're pretending? No, that's not true. That never happened. And I, I don't mean to be insensitive today at all. I just I want you to be healed. We need honesty with God as our first step. So many times we try to minimize offense. We try to just cover it up, tuck it under a rug, deny it never really happened. An unaddressed relational pain is a seed that when you plant it, it turns to bitterness. And that bitterness turns to a full-fledged tree. And when there's bitterness in people's lives, it affects their whole life. It reflects everything about them. It reflects how they see God. It reflects how they see people. It reflects how they see themselves. This is why I believe that small groups is, is so important. Not that you go to small groups and say, and just, this is what, you know, it's not this place where you're always like, this is what's wrong in my life. This is what you, it's not there to confess everything. But it's there to be around other people. And your church family can give you different perspectives and can bring a greater sense of health in your life. And we can all walk this journey of healthier relationships. The second key to overcoming bitterness is this, it's, this sounds very oversimplified, but we'll talk more about it as this whole idea. You need to choose to forgive your offender. You're never going to have relief until you take this step. Job's friend, I, I said job, Job's friends, it's like the old joke, this guy was like, well, I, I didn't have a, I, I, was, I was unemployed, so he just became a Christian, he thought, so I just went to the book of Job, I thought maybe I could get some answers, anyway. <laughs> Job's friends hurt him tremendously, they cut him. They, they weren't there for him. They betrayed him. They were disloyal. They criticized him. They misunderstood him. Nothing hurts more than being misunderstood or falsely accused. Nothing hurts more. And it wasn't Job's fault at all. He was innocent. He had every right to be bitter. But later, God blessed him. Later, God blessed him, it, not after he had retaliated, not after he had got revenge, not after he had been bitter, but after Job had forgiven his offenders, he let them go, he forgave them, then God was able to work in his life and to make the latter part of his life better than the former part of his life. Job 42:10 says this, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Notice, after Job had prayed for his friends. We're not meant to walk around carrying grudges. We're just not meant to do that. When Peter was hanging out with Jesus and was talking to Jesus about forgiveness, and Peter thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to ask a question that I'm going I'm to show Jesus how forgiving I am. And he says this, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Peter, really, he, Peter was making a, a, a statement, up to seven times. Actually, at that moment, the law said you forgave someone three times. And so you did it once, twice, by the third one, you could cut them off and move on with your life. So Peter thought this, you know what I do? Watch this, fellas. I'm going to double it, and then I'll add one more on top just to show how good I am. Up to seven times, and Jesus answered, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. One translation says 70 times seven. The point was not a, an actual number. The point was the number Jesus gave was a number that could never be met. In other words, you are always to forgive. You're always to release. I, I want to lean into this just for a little bit this morning. Because I think there's some real practical things for us that can maybe help peel back maybe how, how bitterness affects even our behavior. Jesus didn't say, actually, Peter, you should pray that you're never in a situation where you're offended either. In verse 7 earlier, Jesus said, actually, offenses will come. Go, just turn and tell someone, don't worry, you will be offended. Just tell them. That's what Jesus said, offenses will come. 
They're a part of your life. And I think, I think part of the lack of effectiveness to overcoming offense and bitterness is that we're asking God to keep, we're praying, God, keep me from situations that are offensive. Lord, Lord, help me. Help me find a church that doesn't offend me. Help me find a, a worship leader that, that sings all the songs I want. Help me find a friend who has the same opinion about everything as me. You get the point? But we're praying for something not to happen that God said, actually, I'm sorry, it's going to happen. Jesus is saying, forgive offenses that will come. And we're praying, Jesus, keep offenses from me. You notice the disconnect there? And we never learn how to deal with offenses in our lives because we run from offenses. We go somewhere else. Jesus said, life is full of opportunities to get offended. And so we spend our whole lives. We go to this church. Well, that pastor said, I didn't like it. I'm going to go to this other church. I'll go to this church. Oh, I'm looking for this church. Nope, I don't like that church. I'm going to go to this Oh, man, that's a good church. Oh, I don't like what she's wearing. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Spend your whole life offended. You go from this relationship, how you get married in this relationship, and then offense happens. Well, I'm out of this. So you find another relationship. Well, no, Alvin's not going to work. You get married again, and you're over here. You're down the road. Yeah, yeah. oh, boy, we're having a good time. What, what did you say to me? I'm out of here. So you're, you're, you're done. You spend your whole life trying to stay away from offense. And along the way, you're, you're missing out on these relationships and, and things that God wants to have in your life. And you're like, Lord, bring me to a relationship, to a church, to a people, to a small group that I'm never offended in. And he's like, good luck. Never going to happen. And what he's saying is this, I want to help you become the person and live the life that you can live and help you to overcome offenses. But we spend our whole lives looking for the perfect church, perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect children, the perfect job. Listen, you've had 17 jobs, and you're like, well, that, boy, that boss is a jerk. Or that manager didn't like me. How we deal with our offenses is what makes or breaks our relationship, and our whole life. Listen, marriages don't break down because he doesn't put his socks in the clothes hamper. Marriages don't break down because you don't have enough things in common and you thought you did. Marriages don't break down because you have a different perspective on parenting. It breaks down because we pick up offenses and it turns to bitterness. And then we invite another person into our marriage and, and that person is telling us what to do and that other person is bitterness. So we just, we just keep them with us wherever we go. So every conversation, bitterness saying, yeah, but they really meant this. Mm-hmm. Or we go to this, well, I, I know, bitterness is saying, well, I know that friend is telling you this, but remember that last friend that hurt you? They're probably going to do the same thing. So you just hold the hand of bitterness. Come on. Come on, bitterness. Let's go. Just take bitterness wherever you go. Go to church and sit down. Oh, I'm sorry, that's saved. That's for bitterness. <laughs> then the other person's offended because you told them they couldn't sit there. And then they get bit. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> so you just invite bitterness. Just wherever. Come on. Come on, bitterness. They're not even real. It's not even real, but it's something in here. And that root of bitterness is sabotaging everything in your life. That's why people can, I mean, they can, be, they can be kicked off in a moment. Just pow! And they're angry and mad. And they're out of there. It's bitterness. And when we carry bitterness, the reality is this. We're always on a mission to settle the score. To make it even. I'll never be hurt again. And then the people that you love, the people you care for, the people who want the best for you, the people who, who believe in you, people who are in your church, in your small group, you treat them with contempt. You keep them at a distance because you've made a decision in your life to carry bitterness because it's become your soulmate. 
You've been looking for your soulmate, but the reality is, the reality is you can't find your soulmate because your soulmate is bitterness. It's become, bitterness has become your best friend. It's what you, it's, it's what really does this. And so you feel like everything is justified by your behavior because your best friend tells you that was all right for you to act that way because bitterness says it's okay. Bitterness has become your pastor. Bitterness has become your wife. Bitterness has become your husband. And you get instructions in life from that voice of bitterness in your life or in your heart. It's become what you're familiar with. It, 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 it's, it's given you a false sense of protection, but it has hindered you from God-given relationships in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you, that, that you don't stay away from evil, manipulative people. Get away from those people. What I'm saying is don't let the actions of an evil, hurtful, manipulative person determine the rest of your life. They have no power on your life, and don't let that happen. Don't take bitterness by the hand and bring it to other relationships. And we, if we have bitterness in our lives, we can chase this, this idea of a perfect relationship where offenses never happen and we know it's just not going to happen. I, I think this, that bitterness and actually forgiveness... Forgiveness, just like we said two weeks ago, love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice as well. Forgiveness, is, it's usually not immediate. It's a journey. It's a process. It's something you've got to work through. And the best way I know how to explain forgiveness is it's like a pregnancy. Now, I've never been pregnant. That's my disclaimer. But I've seen women who are pregnant. And the conception of forgiveness is that choice. I'm going to choose to forgive. The act of your will to choose to forgive. Then, then there's the growing stage. The, diff- the different aspects of forgiveness that are growing inside of, inside of you, just like pregnancy. Just like forgiveness. Just, I, I mean, just like pregnancy, some days you're sick. Some days you're like, oh, this hurts. Some days you're, you're glowing. You have the pregnant glow that just happens, and it's like you're beaming. I love being pregnant. The next morning you're puking again. <laughs> Someday the pain is, is so much that, that you think, you know what, maybe returning to the way it was before seems better. But when, you're, when you made the decision that forgiveness is like a seed, and you, you got to plant it in your soul, and you got to nourish it, and you gotta, you got to pray for your enemies. you got to read the Word. you gotta, you got to ask God to help you forgive, and you keep nourishing the seed of forgiveness. I, I'm sure what was done was horrific, but I'm telling you, if you will nourish the seed of forgiveness, God, help me to forgive. God, I, I'm going to nourish it with the Word. I'm going to nourish it with, with when, I, when I think of the moment that it happened, Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I release them. God, help me God heal and you begin to grow this forgiveness inside of you just like a baby and one day you're going to give birth to that and you're going to get your life back just like a woman at the end of her pregnancy I remember my wife she was like get this alien out of my body and finally she gave birth and was like I got my wife back when you give birth to forgiveness you get your life back Corey Ten Boom, she was a woman who survived the Second World War. I know we know a lot about her here, but she was detained in a concentration camp for hiding, protecting Jews from the Nazis. And this is what she wrote. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of bitterness and handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and shackles of selfishness. Some of you have spent the whole, your whole life gripped with bitterness. God's just asking you, just make a choice. Make the choice today. He has a lot for you. He wants to unlock the chains of bitterness in your life. Philip Yancey, in a book that's called What's So Amazing About Grace, said this. He says, at last I understand in the final analysis that forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I'm trusting that God is better carrying out justice than I am. By forgiving, 
I release my own right to get even. And I let all issues of fairness, and I leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave it in God's hands, the scales that must balance justice and mercy. And here's the reality. You can't do that without God. But it is a choice. Which leads us to our last point, which is a very simple one. Once you are honest with God about your pain, once you, God, I'm choosing to forgive. Then number three, choose to move on with your life. Choose to move on with your life. This always moves me, this idea of Paul who, who had so many mistakes, so many hurts, so many opportunities to, be, to, to pick up offense. He said this in Philippians 3. He said this. We can move on to Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now listen, forgetting doesn't mean it didn't exist. Forgetting doesn't mean it didn't happen to you. It means I'm choosing to move on and to strain towards what is ahead. In other words, choose to move on with your life. Don't look to your past mistakes to help you go to the future. God's got a future and a plan for you that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can achieve it, you can reach it, you can hold it, and your life can be totally different. The latter part of your life can and will be better than the former part of your life if you believe that. It's time to move on with your life. It's time to start living again. It's not where bitterness has taken you. It's not the mistakes. It's not the relationships that have been broken because you've had bitterness in them. Really, it's about from this moment, right here, today. You're here today. So you can say this, I choose to move on with my life. It's not about where I've been. It's from this moment on, I'm going to move forward to what God has for me. It's a choice. Now, it's a journey and it's a process. And after Job prayed for his toxic friends, after Job prayed for his enemies, after Job began to understand that, God, though you slay me, I will still trust you. Job says this. says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. Your greatest relational and life blessing is on the other side of you choosing to forgive and you choose to move on. And I know that you can't do this alone. And I know this isn't like, oh, man, if someone would have told me this, I would have done that. No, I know that. I understand that. And there are levels of offense as well. There are levels of offense in this room. There are levels of offense with family. There are levels of offense. And I, and I hate all of them. I hate to see how they ruin people's lives. I hate to see how an offense on one of my family members led her to be an alcoholic her whole life. Bitterness, anger. Was the offense real? Absolutely. Should have never happened. No way. But every time she talks, she's toxic. An offense against another one of my family members. He turned into a, a roaming hermit, tucking away in the mountains of Montana, drinking his way from one state to another state because of offense. Nobody ever knew where he was. Till we get word he died. I see it all the time. I see it affect even my own life. I see it affect families. The Lord just wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to carry the bitterness. He doesn't want you to carry the hatred. And he knows you can't do it on your own. He knows you can't. That's why you need him. 
That's why we got to make a decision, Lord. I just, I just need to be honest with you for a minute. I'm hurting. I've been hurting for seven years. I've been hurting for ten years. I've been hurting my whole life. I've been hurting for one year. Just be honest. You're going to need to, you're going to, need to take these points home. You're going to need to just work them in your life. Be honest. You're going to need to choose, Lord. It's kind of like the man who says, Lord, I believe. Help me believe. <laughs> Lord, I choose to forgive. Help me to choose to forgive. Let your own two ears hear. God, I forgive. Say their name. Lord, help me to release. Say it out loud. Let your own two ears hear you say, I choose to forgive. Some of you, when you do it, you're going to get nauseous because you haven't thought about that. You, you just kind of tucked it away. I'm telling you, you're, you're going to have pain, but I'm telling you, God has a life for you on the other side. Choose to move on with your life. Choose to forgive. And let's go on a journey together as a church to have healthier relationships. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.